0: You may have heard it said, if not said it yourself, God never gives his children anything they can't handle. Pastor Ed corrects that line of thinking.
1: Our whole lives are filled with things that we cannot handle. Our whole life. But what God is saying is, in life, as you face things that you can't handle, you trust the God that can handle it, And he will always give you a way of escape. Amen. He will always give you, he will always give me a way of escape so that I don't sin against him and make things worse.
0: This is amazing grace. time once again for Abounding Grace. Glad you could join us as we get right back into John's Gospel. We may fail to recognize it, but God very often is preparing us for what's ahead. We'll see this in the life of the disciples shortly before Jesus would be leaving them and hung on a Roman cross. No doubt this was a confusing and painful time for them. Perhaps the same could be said of where you're at today. Let's lean in and be encouraged in the word. We're in John chapter 16.
1: Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for that fateful day and they're having a hard time with it. Hearing Jesus talk about it for them is a trial in and of itself. They're emotional. In a moment, we'll see how confused they are. And Jesus is wanting to help them see that no matter what they see or feel, God is accomplishing his will. And it's important for us to remember this It's important for us to cling to this because there are just going to be times in our lives that are hard and difficult and unfair. Times when I'm not happy. Times when joy is elusive. Times when family cannot help as much as we would want them to. When friends won't help. Or even worse, when the revelation of people that you thought were friends actually aren't friends at all and might even be the source of the pain that you're feeling. Times where freedoms are taken away. Times when our focus is lost. Where we're unable to see the silver lining in the clouds. Where we're unable to conceive what could possibly happen. What could, how could the crucifixion of Jesus possibly be any good? How can losing my best friend have any benefit in my life? And yet Jesus is teaching them no matter what comes our way, we have the friend of all friends, Jesus Christ. We have faith in a faithful creator. And even though it would be so much easier if God would just take away and eliminate trials altogether, don't you, don't, don't you want that? <laughs> wouldn't that be just so much better? Wouldn't it be so much better if we wouldn't have to suffer? I mean, just, just take the devil and banish him now. Just, just deal with the rottenness of our own flesh and our own ungodly tendencies. Just, just take this situation out of our lives. Just give us our new bodies, Lord, now. And deliver us from this body of death and disease. But that is not the way of God. But instead, nothing is lost. Suffering is not for nothing suffering is not for nothing. See, for the disciples here, little would they know. We have the benefit of reading the Bible backwards. They don't have that benefit. They're living life frontwards, just like you and I are right now. There's not a finished volume on your life and mine. So we're living life just like they are living life, except for their lives, we have the finished volume. And so, when we look back on it, it might take the edge and cut the edge off in our hearts a little bit because we might, in the back of our minds, just say, It's going to be okay, guys. It's going to be okay, guys. It's going to be okay, guys. They don't see that. The crucifixion will be the absolute worst day of their life up to that point. It will be overwhelmingly destructive to their faith and to their hope and, and to their joy and to their happiness and, in their minds, to their future. It will rock and wreck their world as they know it. But little do they know that the worst day of their life will be followed by the best day of their life just three days later. And the best day of their life will enable them and empower them that just a few days later they will be endued with power from on high by the Holy Spirit. And that in the power of the Holy Spirit, this little renegade group of people will be used in such a way that you will be saved some 2,000 years later. That the impact of their lives will last on into eternity and fill heaven with souls and families and change. How would they possibly know that? And how could you possibly know what God has in store for you? It's so great and it's so grand if now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials. If you want to hang on, you can hang on. In the power of God, you can make it. That's an encouragement to you. The warning is, is if you don't want to make it, you won't make it. If you decide to throw in the towel, then you'll throw in the towel. And that's just not God's heart for you. When it comes to standing strong before the Lord, God has promised you that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but always provides a way out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation is overtaking you, except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Now, this is one of those verses that is very encouraging, but it's also a frustrating verse for me as a pastor because this is one of the most misinterpreted, misquoted passages in all the Bible. And I just want to, mostly because there is a lack of understanding of this verse, but today I'm going to tell you what it really means, and I'm going to ask you not to use it the way that most people use it anymore. Not to post pictures on Instagram that way, not to put it on Facebook, not to put it on Twitter. Don't even write it in a little handmade card you're sending to encourage someone. Because most people take this verse and they say this, God will never give you anything that you can't handle. False. Our whole lives are filled with things that we cannot handle our whole life. But what God is saying is, in life, as you face things that you can't handle, you trust the God that can handle them. And he will always give you a way of escape. Amen. He will always give you... He will always give me a way of escape so that I don't sin against him and make things worse. Of course, God allows things that we can't handle. Of course, God will even send things that we can't handle. I think the best example of this in all the Bible is our brother Job. I know some of you that are new to the Bible, you were flipping through your Bible and wondering, why is there a book of Job? His name is Job, and he's our brother. We're going to see him in heaven. And he went through some of the worst spiritual warfare and battle and and loss and grief and disease and difficulty that just about anyone I've ever known my entire life. When I look at his life, it makes some of the things I go through seem very small even though that's not God's intention. I just look at my life and I recognize pain is unique for every situation. But Job, he encourages me because of endurance. And he had no idea what was going on in the spiritual realm. He had no idea that the devil had asked for him He had no idea that there was some kind of agreement in heaven that what he was doing, what he was going through would lead to something greater and grander. He had no idea. He was just in the middle of it. He didn't know that God set limits and boundaries around him to protect him. That as bad as it was, it could have gotten worse, but God protected him. God limited him. And Job, although he didn't see in the spiritual realm, he knew that God was on his side and that he could trust in him. Even when his wife lost heart, Job, it says in Job 1, verse 22, in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And there is definitely value in our trials. They will either break our backs or bend our knees, but God uses them in our lives. With that in mind, let's look at a few things now in John 16, as we head out, that I believe God will use to encourage us in the midst of their discipleship as the Lord disciples us. Notice verse 16, John 16, 16. A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I go to my Father. And they said, verse 18, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he's saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Now, I have to say at the outset, I'm very happy these verses are here in the Bible, that they're in the Bible that you're looking at in your lap and in your hands, because it tells us something, that even great men of God, close to Jesus for three and a half years, Men that will be used to plant churches and grow churches and and the gospel will be spread around the world in their lives within a hundred years and millions of people will get saved. I'm grateful that God will use men like this because even great men of God are ignorant of the truth and struggle to understand what Jesus is saying to them in the moment. And I just believe there are some among us today that have an unrealistic view of the people that God uses, that you have to be somehow perfect, that you have to know everything about the Bible, that you have to say things the right way, that you can never hurt, never cry, never go through anything, and then once, if you ever get there where you're the perfect person, then maybe God will use you. That's not true. God, he wants to use you in his kingdom right now. He receives you. He he loves you so much that he receives you as you are. And he loves you so much that he's not going to leave you there. He's going to change you and equip you and use you and your life circumstances to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Don't misunderstand me. I'm certainly not suggesting that you can just keep living a sinful life and call yourself a Christian. Not at all. But to the realities of life and the difficulties of life, you feel like you just don't measure up. You feel like because of what's going on in your brain, you'll never be able. You feel like because of your family situation, you'll never be able. Because you haven't been to seminary, you'll never be able. Because you're having a hard time understanding the simplest of Bible verses, you'll never be able. And that's not the truth. You have these guys right here, three and a half years with Jesus, and they're still there. He's explained it to them multiple times, and they still don't get it. And what does Jesus do? He has compassion on them. He says in verse 20, he begins to speak to their confusion. And he doesn't say, I can't believe you guys are still confused. What am I to do with you? He says, most assuredly, I'm telling you, you guys are going to weep and lament. It's going to be really hard. But the world's going to be happy. And don't, so don't be surprised by that. Everybody's going to be happy when I die. But you guys are going to be super sad. And you'll be sorrowful. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she's given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I'll see you again. Mark that. Right now, you're sad, but I'll see you again. You're going to see me again. Jesus says that to us. I am coming back, and you might be sorrowful right now, but we're going to see each other again, man. We're gonna, you're going to be in my presence where joy is fulfilled. Man, and your joy no one, it says in verse 22, will t- no one will take from you. Huh. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to weep and lament. It's going to be shocking. It's going to be stumbling. I mean, he says right now, you're sad right now. You're confused. You're sad. He spoke in chapter 14 about not letting their hearts be troubled. He he speaks in chapter 16 that they don't be stumbled. You can jot it down in Luke chapter 24. We get a little glimpse of how the disciples were feeling after the fact. Not these in particular, but two men on the road to Emmaus. It says they were hopeless. It says that they were sad and sorrowful that they had given up. They're on their way back from Jerusalem. It's been the third day. And even though everyone's reporting that the tomb is empty, they don't receive that, that Jesus has arisen from the dead. And they're on their way back, kicking cans, upset, sad, confused, ready to quit. And then Jesus shows up and ministers to their heart. That's probably the greatest gift that God gives us in trials. Is it opens up our hard hearts, cracks open our hearts, and what do we get in return? The very presence of Jesus Christ, which is what our heart wants all along. That's your heart and mine. To have the reality of His presence in our lives in a real and tangible way, He says, "You guys are going to be sad. You are going to lament. It's going to be the worst, but you are going to see Me again. You are going to see Me again." And then, and I don't know exactly know why Jesus does this, but he uses the illustration of childbirth to explain pain to a bunch of men where none of us have ever been through childbirth. And yet, so many of you ladies, you can relate to this illustration in a very real way. And he uses it to describe pain. He says, look, it's just like, it's just like a mom when she's in labor and going through the labor of birth and the intensity of pain like she's never felt before, crying out, screaming at the top of her lungs through each of the contractions, awaiting the delivery of the baby, that as soon as the baby is born, even whatever residual pain is there, is a brief memory when they place that baby on your chest for the very first time. The one that was just in your womb, kicking and pushing and wondering, when will he, when will she ever come out? And going through the process. Now, I've never, myself, given birth to a baby, but I was at all three of my kids' births. Even when we were teenage parents, I was there for Eddie I was there for Josh. I was there for Katie. And I watched some of them. I don't remember which one. It had to be Josh or Katie. Marie was so in pain, she said, Get that camera out of my face. It was hard, it was difficult. But as soon as the baby was born, hey, man, the thoughts of pain were a distant memory. And I also learned that right after delivery is not a good time to ask, Do you want to have another baby? Timing is everything, guys. Just a little, little hint to those of you that are future, planning a future family. But here's what Jesus is saying. That, that the joy, the joy that comes out of the pain transforms us. It doesn't take away the pain. Because it won't be too long after the medications and everything wear down that there's residual pain. And in some cases, unfortunately, but it's true that It could be that very baby that was born that might bring you more pain in the future through their desires and their decisions. We pray for them, those prodigal kiddos, those that have turned from the Lord. Their current pain will be replaced with a future joy through the process. Just like a baby being born, the Lord does not take away that which causes the pain and replace it with something else No, the baby is laid right there next to the mama or on the mama. It's not a substitution, it's a transformation. Just like with Joseph, when he looks at his brothers, the the beginning cause of his whole life of grief, another brother that went through amazing, difficult times, whether he was betrayed by his own flesh and blood because of the favoritism of his dad, sold to slave traders, and they went back and lied to their dad, or the time he was accused of rape, when he was a righteous man and did nothing. Such a lie of accusation. And it was believed, so he was thrown into prison. And then he made a couple friends in prison and had hope when one was getting out. Go tell Pharaoh about me. But he was forgotten and neglected. And he would find his way over the years, finding favor with God, to place him as second in command over Egypt. And as his brothers come looking for food and as it all comes down and God has turned everything bad around for good he looks at his brothers and he says but as for you you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring it bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive it's transformation joseph was changed by his trials changed to be a man of love and forgiveness One more thing before we go. Verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Jesus tells them that their prayer life will explode because of the sorrow and the pains and the difficulties. They're going to have a new relationship. Asking the Father and interceding and pressing in, as Jesus taught us earlier, to seek and to knock and to ask. Keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking. Where Jesus would say in Luke 18, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. And even if you do lose heart, keep praying. It's something, church family, that we've seen recently in our own congregation. A conviction upon my heart and many others that we have been prayerless. And since June, as a leadership team and as a fellowship family, we've been setting our hearts toward prayer, toward increasing prayer, toward corporate prayer, toward personal prayer. We've been asking God to open up our hearts to pray more. And it seems as if, as we have opened our hearts toward God, toward prayer, so have the difficulties, and so have the hardships, and so has the spiritual warfare. We've been met with resistance. It's almost as if the devil is saying, I don't want you to pray, and so I'm going to limit your prayers because your prayers limit me, and I'll have none of that. But listen, the resistance that I've received in prayer has only emboldened me to pray more, to seek heaven and God's will on earth as it's done in heaven. We need to be prayerful. You, I invite you to invest your time to our prayer meetings. I invite you. I compel you. I beg you. Some of you need to heed this warning and this invitation. We've got to be praying, church. We gather together on Wednesday nights as a part of our gathering. We pray together. We intercede together. We pray for our family, we pray for our kids, we pray for the needs that a pastor or a leader have put up on the screens for us. We pray, we're learning to pray together, we're learning to pray with each other, we're learning to pray for each other. And I have to say, it's been a battle just to pray. It's been a battle just to gather to pray. It's been sometimes very discouraging to see so few take the mantle of prayer. But on the other hand, it's been so encouraging to see so many more take the mantle of prayer for their lives, for their families, for their communities. And may God add one more at a time, one more at a time, and you're invited. We don't just come together for song on Wednesdays, and we don't just come together for food on Wednesdays. We don't just come together for Bible teaching. We come together for prayer because God's house needs to be a house of prayer according to Jesus himself. And so he says part of your life, part of what would be added to your life is your prayer life will be, well, it'll be transformed as you pray to the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a good thing to learn how to align our hearts and wills with his It's a good thing for us to learn of him, to learn about him, to live in him. And that's really the heart of Jesus in this section. As we see, we'll close up. He's not done talking about trials because in verse 33, for our study next time in John 16, Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you'll have peace, but in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And that is the overcoming message that we will see in our next Bible study.
0: We are going through the Gospel of John, one verse at a time, with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web, AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. See if this sounds familiar. You come across an atheist or non-believer that has some questions about Christianity or the Bible. It's about that time you scratch your head in confusion and don't know what to say. Well, allow Ron Rhodes to help in a book called 5-Minute Apologetics for Today. Now, the book is short, giving you one-page answers to common questions and objections. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. Now, you may not realize this, but we are listener-supported. And each dollar that's sent in is an investment in God's work over the radio and the Internet and will be prayerfully and responsibly used. You'll be helping people all across the nation and around the world grow in their relationship with the Lord and, in some cases, come to Christ. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Don't miss our next study in John's Gospel. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace.